Okay, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And uh, the passage before us is Romans 3, 1 to 20. It is a longer passage. It is a longer passage and it is quite a, a, a you know, tricky passage in that sense because there's a lot of information in it. And I, I picked the you know, 20 verses because I, it kind of goes together. We may revisit it again. Let's see how we, how we go. But for this morning, we're going to try and cover uh, these 20 verses before us. And it really is a question uh, of uh, that the Jewish people... And Paul is writing, anticipating questions or objections that may come up to what he said in the previous chapter. And it's really a question of favor. You know, is God, has God granted these people special favor in regard to his law? Is, has God granted them some special favor in regard to his law? And that's an important one for us to consider. Do we have a special favor before God? In regard to his law, you know, does God show some sort of a, a, a favoritism in, in that sense? And you'll understand what I'm saying as we go through it. But I hope you can track with me. It's going to be a little bit heavy. So try and, and, and stay focused, uh, you know, get up and walk around. No, don't do that. Uh, but just kind of try and stay awake as we go uh, through this. All right. We're going to depend on the spirit of God to help us comprehend it as we delve into uh, these verses. Now from verses 1 to 9, Paul asks 11 questions. I think I put them up also. Uh, you can just, you know, just glance at them. Uh, You've got to look at your text to see how they are. But there's 11 questions that he's asking. They're kind of related questions, but there's a lot of questions that he's asking because he's answering uh, a certain point that is being raised over here. Uh, these were likely questions that he anticipated might be asked when it comes to talking about the gospel of Christ. Because in, from verse 21 of chapter 3, Paul is going to talk about the gospel. He's going to say, but now a righteousness from God is manifest to which the law and the prophets testify. So he's going to talk about the gospel. But before he gets there, he wants to deal with some objections that may arise. Because the Jews are saying, wait a minute. We have special favor. We are the descendants of Abraham. You know, we, 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 we don't need a messiah or a savior in that sense god already has saved us he set us apart and so paul is anticipating those things and he's going to deal with them as he takes uh, goes through uh, this section right and so the the uh, their objections that he raises over here or anticipates are uh, to be expected in light of what we looked at in the previous uh, chapter chapter 2 verses 17 to 29 if you were there last week and we saw that we talked about who a true Jew is a true Jew and I've I put a section up there just put that up next slide yeah a true Jew is not someone who has God's law or even hears God's law or even teaches God's law a true Jew is someone who does God's law keeps God's law that's important because these people were saying, you know what, we got the law. We know the law. Hey, we teach the law. And Paul says, but you don't keep the law. You don't keep the law. And so you become a lawbreaker in that sense. It doesn't matter what you have if you don't keep the law. That's great for us to reflect on. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian and you read the Bible and you go to church. If you don't keep 
God's word. If you don't live in faithfulness and obedience to the word of God, it doesn't matter what you say. What you do matters. And so that's what Paul will touch on over there. And so it leads to all of these questions that Paul is going to ask, right? Is there any value then in being Jewish? Is there any value in circumcision? That's what he starts off chapter 3 with. If, if those things don't matter, what's the value in those things? And so Paul anticipates these things uh, because the Jews might have believed, listen to this, that they would be judged differently than the Gentiles. The Jews might have believed that they would be judged differently than the Gentiles. That God would somehow favor them because of their Jewish ethnicity being descendants of Abraham. And Paul is going to clarify in this section that every single human being is equally accountable to God regardless of their religious or ethnic background. Every single human being is equally accountable to God. There isn't a separate law that governs the people of God and a separate one that governs the rest of mankind. So important. You and I are still obligated to keep God's law. We can't go around and say, Ooh, I'm free from the law. I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. Grace, grace, wonderful grace. No, we are obligated as much as anybody else to keep God's law. The difference is that we understand we are not justified by the keeping of the law. We are justified by Christ. But we are obligated nevertheless. In fact, even more than before. Because now we know. Even more than before. When you are given responsibility, even more is expected of you in that sense. Even more. And so there isn't a separate law that governs the world and that governs the people of God. It's one law, the law of the Lord, the moral law of God that governs all of mankind. We're all accountable to God and God is going to judge us according to his law. And some of us will be saved not because we kept the law, but because we believed in Christ. That's important. That's where the gospel comes in. That's when we're going to get into verse 21 onwards. All right. So I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea. And so here's four points that I'm going to make from this passage. Number one, God remains faithful to his covenant. That's the big question. Number two, God is not unrighteous in his judgment. Number three, every human being is in sin. And number four, every human being is accountable to God. Now that's pretty straightforward. Nothing fancy. You probably won't even remember the points because they don't match and all of that stuff. But it's okay. It gives us an idea of what this passage is about. All right, so I'm going to jump straight in. Uh, let's look at the first one. God remains faithful to his covenant. God remains faithful to his covenant. Here's the question that chapter 3 begins with. Verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Remember this is linked to chapter 2 verses 17 uh, to the end of the chapter verse 17-29. About a true Jew being one who does the law. Not simply one who is circumcised or is an ethnic Jew. One who does the law. And so then the question is, then what's the point of being a Jew? If a person who's a non-Jew keeps the law and you know they gain favor, then what's the point of being a Jew? And Paul responds 
first of all to say this in verse 2 he says there is much benefit in every way much value in every way look at what he says much in every way to begin with the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God wow that's pretty special they were given the word of God it was through the Jewish people that God brought his word into the world and that's the point that he makes over here Romans in fact if you jump ahead to Romans chapter 9 verses 4 to 5 this is what you know Paul says about the the Jews he says they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all blessed forever amen and I think Paul wants us to look at that and look at this and say what an honor and a privilege it is to be in such a position. What a blessing it is in fact to be the recipients of God's word and his promises. The Old Testament particularly is all about the Jewish people, isn't it? And the New Testament, of course, as the Gentiles. And, but the Old Testament, the full weight of it is about these people of God that were set apart. And we read it and we love those stories. And we love the way in which God watches over his people and takes care of them. What a privilege. What a blessing. But with such a position comes even more responsibility. With such a position comes even more responsibility. They cannot expect favors in regard to God's law. You see, God doesn't lower his standards for them. That's the point. He doesn't lower his standards for them. And then the next question is uh, what he says over here um, in verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? What if some of these Jewish people were unfaithful? Does God then sort of write off, you know, the whole favor that he has on the Jewish community? And what he says over here in verse 4, by no means, never. Meganoite, that's the, the Greek word, I think. By no means, God will never do that. Because God is true. God is always faithful. That's the point that he's making. That's the point that we're making in point one. God is faithful to his covenant. God will never do that. And then he says, let God be true and everyone, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And prevail when you are judged. Now, that's an interesting little quote over there. It's a quote from Psalm 51 verse 4. Psalm 51 verse 4. Now, if you remember what Psalm 51 was about, do you remember what it was about? Who wrote it? David wrote it. In what context? Yeah, when he had sinned against Bathsheba and against Uriah and ultimately against the Lord. And in that context, he wrote this psalm and here's what he says. And I want to read you know, a couple of verse, a verse, uh, two verses from that passage in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 51. He says, For I know, David is saying, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you... You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then here's the quote. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So I've sinned against you. And against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you God are right in your judgment of me. 
You're right in your judgment when you're not wrong. And look at David. David is not saying, I sin, but you know what? You still give me favor. You still have some, I still have some brownie points with you because I'm a Jewish king even. No. He says, you're right in your judgment. You're right in your judgment. God is right and God is blameless in his judgment. And, and that's the point that he makes in Romans as well. Therefore, you may be justified in your words and prevail when, you, when the people question you. You're justified is what Paul is saying. God is faithful even in his judgment of sin is what David is saying. Just because God judges his people, the Jews, it doesn't mean that he's unfaithful to his covenant. Remember in the covenant law, there was a clear warning in Deuteronomy 28. If you, there, are, there are blessings for obedience, there are curses for disobedience. That's in the covenant. That's in the law. And that's good for us to think about as well, you know, because God and Hebrews talks about this, how he disciplines us as his sons. Because that's part of God's covenant with us in that sense. It's not only, you know, God will prosper you and bless you. I love every start of the new year, all the prosperity theologians start saying, this is the year of increase. This is the year of abundance. This is the year of fulfillment. They never talk about this is the year of judgment. This is the year of correction. This is the year of discipline. Nothing. It's always about God giving us more. But God also does discipline, doesn't he? And it is not, it, 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 it doesn't mean that he doesn't favor us, but it, it's part of his covenant with us. And we do this sometimes, maybe as children we do this, you know, if my parent gives me stuff, they love me. If they don't, they don't love me. If they, if they discipline me, you know, then oh, they don't love me. No. Part of being a parent to a child is both give as well as discipline and correct and chastise. And God does that with his people. And David is happy to receive God's chastisement and judgment in his life because he knows that that's a way that God is going to set things right. He says, you're, you're justified in your judgment. That's a good perspective to have when God deals with sin in our lives. And you know, sometimes, maybe we don't recognize this, but Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about the table of the Lord. He says, some of you, you eat and drink judgment on yourself. Because you don't recognize the body of Christ. You eat and drink in a, in a way that dishonors what Christ has done. You eat and drink in a way that dishonors the body of Christ. And he says, that is why some of you are weak and sick and some have even fallen asleep. Can you imagine that? Who is Paul writing to? Who is the scriptures talking to? The church. Us. And sometimes it may be good for us to pay attention to the weakness and the sickness in our life and death even as God's judgment on us. And figure it out and be able to say like David, Lord, I acknowledge that I've sinned and you are right in your judgment on me. That's not a bad place to be. Because until we come to that moment of humility before God, we say, Lord, you're right. And I know that you don't love me less, but you are helping me deal with sin. Until we come to that point, we can't deal with it. It continues to fester 
like a cancer in our lives. And so we want to recognize that, you know, then the, the first thing is that God, God remains faithful to his covenant. And part of that means judgment as well. Part of that means judgment as well. Now let's move on over here. I don't want to get you know, stuck. There's so much more that can be said, but let's just move on over here. The second one, God is not unrighteous in his judgment. God is not unrighteous in his judgment. Now, subsequent argument that Paul anticipates is that someone could accuse God of playing some sort of a game. Some people could you know, be quite twisted about this. And, and even accuse God of saying, Ooh, my sin makes you look good. Makes you look good. That's the point that he raises over. Let me read a couple of verses to what he says here, right? Verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? And then he puts in parenthesis, I speak in a human way. Now just come down with me to verse 7 and verse 8. Here's what he says. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. So if I tell a lie and God's truth abounds and it, you know, there's that contrast between my lie and God's truth. Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Because I'm making God look good. What a twisted argument, isn't it? I'm making, I'm making God look good through my sin. That's what he's saying over here. Verse 8, And why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What a horrendous thought to even consider, isn't it? Terrible. And Paul knows that some people <clears throat> are so twisted that it isn't impossible for them to come up with an argument like this. If my sin makes God look good, why is God punishing me then? Let him look good and let me enjoy my sin and let's just all get along with that. Why can't we continue with that? And Paul even says in parentheses, he says, I speak in a human way. He knows how low this argument is. How low this argument is. In verse 6, he responds to the argument that God is is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. He responds this way. He says, by no means, God is not unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. For then how could God judge the world? God is not unrighteous. In other words, God is righteous in his judgment of the world. God is righteous in his judgment of the world. What a twisted argument people can come up with. And this is what sin does to us. On the, first, on the one hand, we say, you know, God favors us so I can do whatever I want. Over here, we say, no, my sin makes God look good. So let me just continue on with it. And so we, you see what happens over here. Sin has such a hold on us that we begin to find ways to justify it in our lives, to excuse it in our lives. Think about your own life. Think about the ways that you have excused sin. Sometimes you come back from work and you say, you know what, I've had such a horrible day at work. I deserve whatever I want to do. I deserve to yell at my spouse and yell at my kids. I deserve to watch five hours of television, binge watch, because I'm so depressed about this day. 
I deserve to do whatever I want. And we justify sin in our life. And it's, I'm, those are not the excuses in this passage, but I'm just giving you the idea of it, of how we do with sin. And this is one of the things that happens over here. It's another way that the Jew is trying to excuse themselves from the judgment of God. You know, Dr. Tom Constable, who's a theologian, uh, and uh, you know, he's written in his, his commentary on this, and I noted it yesterday. He self, I think I put it up here. Self-righteous people still raise these objections. Some people assume that because God has blessed them, he will not condemn them. That's objection number one. Some people, some believe the character of God prohibits him from condemning them. God is too good. He'll never do that. Some think that even though they have sinned, God will be merciful and not condemn them. Objection number three. And some people feel that since everything we do glorifies God in some way, God would be unjust to condemn them. Objection number four. Amazing, isn't it? The reasons, the ways in which we come to justify or excuse sin in our lives. Now the next two points are going to make it abundantly clear that God is not unjust and unrighteous in judging sin. You see the yardstick that God uses to measure people is not Jewishness, not circumcision. And in our case, thinking about us, it is not that we are born to Christian parents or that we were baptized or dedicated as a child. You know, college needs your dedication certificate, your baptism certificate. That's fine for college. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't matter to God. Or even adult baptism for that matter. Just as a ritual in and of itself, it doesn't matter to God. If you don't live in obedience and faith before Him, if you don't honor Him with your life in the way that you live, God measures all human beings against the perfections of His own character and His own nature and His own glory. That's why the scriptures say, For all have come short of the glory of the other person. No, of the glory of God. God measures us up against who He is, not against other people around us. And by that measure, two things are obvious. Every human being is in sin and every human being is accountable to God for that sin. Two things become obvious. And so let's just come to the third point over here that Paul makes in these verses. So verse 9 to 18. And in these verses, he quotes from several Old Testament texts, right? So Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Proverbs. So if you look at your Bible, if you get a chance or maybe look online, you might have footnotes in your Bible or you can check it up online and see where all these quotations come from. But they're from several Old Testament passages that he quotes and he puts this together. And here's the point that he makes that every human being is in sin. Every single human being, Jew or Gentile, every single human being. Here's what he says, Romans 3 verse uh, 10, sorry, verse 10 to 17, I think it is, right? Now let's go from verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. So 
in one sense we have favor but in another sense when it comes to the law we're not better off just because we're Jewish we're not better off just because we're Christian God will measure you against his law the only thing that saves us is Christ's work on our behalf that's what needs to be highlighted that's what's going to come out as we go on in the rest of chapter 3 and the rest of Romans as well here's what he says from uh, from verse 10 uh, for we know uh, end of verse 9 for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin as it is written none is, none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips what a picture their mouth is full of curses and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes now that's not an exhaustive description of the unrighteousness of people but it does begin with these words none is righteous no not one what do you think of that really what do you think of that how do you respond to that no one not you not me no one is righteous no not one you know some of us we respond and our self-righteousness kicks in and we begin to justify ourselves and how good we are oh you but you don't know me i i don't fit into this category and so we look at all the details over here so my 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 things are not listed over here you know so i don't really fit in over here and so our self-righteousness kicks in and we usually do what the pharisee said and did when standing in the temple remember jesus talks about the pharisee and the tax collector and so luke chapter 18 verse 11 and 12 i should have that up here uh, it says this the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus and I want you to notice that he's standing by himself he can't be bothered to stand with other people standing by himself says God I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week I give tithes of all that I get look at him he goes before God and he, he, he compares himself to the other people around him in order to feel good about himself. Do you do that? Do you do that? Even in church as you sit here, do you do that? Are you comparing yourself to the others around you and feeling good about yourself? That's self-righteousness. That's what Pharisees did and that's what Jesus had the most trouble with in that sense. But you have to remember that God doesn't measure you up against others. He looks at you in regard to his own holiness, his own perfections. I want you to notice the tax collector's attitude is commended and his attitude is commended by the Lord Jesus in Luke 18, 13 to 14. But the tax collector standing far off, now just far off because he just couldn't bring himself to stand closer to God. In that sense he just felt so unworthy 
and he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but he beat his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner I tell you Jesus says this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted so important my brothers and sisters if you and I don't get this if we don't recognize and if we live in self-righteousness before God and we don't recognize this then we will never be able to receive the gospel of Christ Christ's work on the cross won't be as valuable as it ought to be in our lives it'll be just you know one of those other things that the Bible tells us about if we walk around with an air of moral superiority we will never value what Christ has done on the cross never the gospel will be just another story for us and so some of us respond to Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to uh, 18 you know with an air of self-righteousness some of us are in full agreement with Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 18 we're full in the full agreement with the description we're so overwhelmed by our sin that we've given into it in resignation ah oh, you know that's that's just absolutely true that's just who I am and we resign to it we say nothing's gonna change that's it nothing's gonna change and so we might as well you know carry on and see what you know best happens and you know that that's saying it's it's easier to say sorry than to seek permission it's so I'll, I'll say sorry later but let me just carry on I can't do anything else it's it's too strong it's too powerful for me and then there are those who think that God's grace will keep covering up for their sin and so they continue with it repenting every now and then but they continue because God is gracious God is gracious God is gracious right and they never really make a change that they ought to in their lives so what's a biblical response to Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 18 well it is it would be like the tax collector to have a measure of sorrow godly sorrow that leads to repentance Paul says to have a measure of sorrow and sadness in the condition of our hearts much like the tax collector that there would be also determination to set things right with God's help that there would be deep gratitude for Christ and his work on the cross and a work that cleanses us and sets us free from the wages of sin when was the last time when was the last time you actually truly got down on your knees and repented before the Lord genuinely deeply sorrowful over your sin when was the last time you said sorry to the other person that you've hurt really said sorry because that shows humility that shows a broken heart that shows a willingness to acknowledge my fallenness and my 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 ability to to do wrong it shows a willingness to acknowledge that when we are ready to say sorry to other people and to God don't think that just because you're a Christian you never have to say sorry that's a false thing you never have to say sorry to God again repentance no need no that's not true 
The Bible talks about believers practicing repentance in their lives because if we say we are without sin, John 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 I think it is, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives if we say we're without sin. Our attitude must be like the tax collector, sorrowful over sin, deeply grateful to God for his work through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, of course, we don't want to wallow in that. We get up because Christ lifts us up and says, you're my child, you're clean. Enjoy the favor of God. Wonderful. That's the gospel of Christ. So what is your response to this description of you as a person? Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to 18. Let's come to the fourth and final point that Paul makes here for us. Every human being is therefore accountable to God. Every human being is therefore accountable to God. Look at these verses. Here's what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now very quickly, let me just make a comment on these verses. Verse 19 puts an end to any Jewish argument that says that the description in verses 10 to 17 applies only to the Gentiles. Paul says, wait a minute. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Speaking about the Jewish person, they're the recipients of the law and therefore under the law. And therefore it is a, a, a applicable to them as well. If they've received the law much more so than even others. And so he says, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. Every single human being is therefore accountable to God. Verse 20, the law cannot justify anybody. Look at this, verse 20, that last section. For the works of the law, for by the works of the law, meaning the keeping of the law, by being righteous in the law, no one will be justified in his sight. We're accountable to God. We've got to keep the law, but we've got to remember that no one is justified by keeping the law. Because God's law is perfect. God's character and nature is perfect. And none of us can keep up to that. We can't. And so the law really only serves to help us come to a knowledge of our imperfections. That's what it does. It serves to help us understand, you know what? I need Christ. That's where Paul is going. As he takes the Jew and the Gentile through these first three chapters, he is taking us to the point where we say, you know what? If a Jew is not justified by being Jewish, and if a Gentile is not justified by keeping the law because he can't keep the law perfectly, then both need Christ. Both need Christ. Both need God's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to say in chapter in the rest of chapter 3 and then beyond that as well. All of us are accountable to God. And a godly response to what we listen to from this section is sorrow over sin, sadness over sin in our hearts and in our lives. 
a godly repentance that comes from that and a deep gratitude to God for the gift of his son the Lord Jesus Christ and hopefully as we continue on with this you'll see that you know the next section is a, is a fantastic I tell you go back read chapter 3 21 to the end 21 to 31 and not just read it memorize it it's, it's, it's the gospel in a nutshell. It's everything that Paul is leading up to at this point when he says, but now, let me tell you, a righteousness from God, not a righteousness from man, not my own self-righteousness, not my good works, because those things fail, but a righteousness from God has been manifest. Meaning God imputes or gives us his righteousness through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to go to next week. Alright. We'll close for this morning. Let me just say what a prayer. And give you a moment. Just to quietly reflect on what we've listened to. Father we thank you Lord. We thank you for your word to us. I know it's a lot to take in. On a cold winter morning like this. But I also believe that your spirit. Continues to work. In our hearts. And I'm sure that something from this strikes at each one of us, Lord. There's something for each one of us to take back and to ponder upon. To recognize, Lord, that you are holy and that we're not. And that we, doesn't matter what our background is, we are totally and completely dependent on you for our salvation. Any goodness in us flows through your spirit in us. So Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you again for your word. I pray that you would send your people with your grace and your mercy, Lord, to, to recognize these things operating in our hearts, Lord, in our minds, in our understanding, and through our lives. Give us grace, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.